Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about breastfeeding and going back to work. When should you start preparing and what do you do? What can help maintain your milk supply? Will your baby start waking more at night? What do you need to know about your pump? What about if things start going south? Nancy Moorbarker is here to help. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's what the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show and send you a quick reminder to please um, put some reviews in front of that show and iTunes, even if that's not how you usually listen to it. If you leave reviews, we can get this in front of more and more mamas. I will be forever grateful. So today I have Nancy Moorbacher on the show to talk about breastfeeding going back to work and Nancy began helping breastfeeding families as a volunteer in 1982 and became a board certified lactation consultant in 1991. For 10 years she founded and ran a large private lactation practice and she's also worked for a major breast pump company and a national corporate lactation program. In terms of books, Nancy is author of Breastfeeding Answers Made Simple, which is used by breastfeeding specialists worldwide, and she's co-author of the book of a book for parents, Breastfeeding Made Simple, along with Kathleen Kendall Tackett. Her most recent book is called Working and Breastfeeding Made Simple, which uh, she wrote or uh, came out in 2014 and is the reason we're doing this show today. She also has some great technological resources, including an app for Android and Android and iPhones called Breastfeeding Solutions App and a tablet-based prenatal preparation program named Natural Breastfeeding for an Easier Start, which she developed with OB Dr. Teresa Nesbitt. In 2008, the International Lactation Consultants Association officially recognized Nancy's contributions to the field of breastfeeding by awarding her the designation Thilka, which is Fellow of the International Lactation Consultant Association. And as you would imagine, Nancy speaks at events all around the world. Nancy, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me, Adriana. I'm very, very pleased to be here. Thank you. So let's get right to it. What do breastfeeding moms need to consider in preparation for going back to work? Well, uh, if they're thinking about it during pregnancy, I would say uh, talk to people at work, see if there have been other women who have breastfed there. Oftentimes there's lactation programs or uh, special uh, arrangements that have been made that they might not be aware of. So that's a good place to start. Uh, If their company is large enough to have an HR department, they may be able to help her. Uh, One of the the good news for for moms who are considering going back to work is that we do have laws in place now that protect hourly workers. So employers are required to provide a time and place for mothers to pump. Uh, Now, if we're talking about mothers who have already had their babies and are on maternity leave, then uh, some preparation that would be helpful would be about three to four weeks before starting back to work to 
to do some pumping and build a freezer stash. Uh, if they pump once a day for three to four weeks, and that should provide them with enough milk for the first day back and a nice reserve uh, in case of emergency. And fortunately, they don't need to have a freezer full because ideally when they go back to work, the milk that they pump one day will be enough for their baby for the next day. So really it's just enough milk, um, as I say, for the first day back and, and a little extra. And what sort of for that first day back in terms of quantity, can we quantify it? Sure. Um, on average, between the ages of one and six months, breastfeeding babies take somewhere around three to four ounces of expressed milk per feeding. So how, how many ounces will depend on the number of hours that they're apart. So, um, so they can do their calculations, you know, estimating the baby's going to feed every two to three hours. Okay. So what about, like, when I talk, speak to moms, I do a doula work and I talk to them during postpartum. And one of the things that keeps coming up and up is mm -hmm. that fear that the baby won't take the bottle and that they're going to go back to work and mm -hmm. their baby's going to be hungry. What uh -huh. do you say to that? So one of the things that's recommended is for mothers to give a bottle once a day. But I want to be really clear that that doesn't necessarily mean you have to give a full feeding. Uh, giving a full feeding every day would require a lot of extra pumping on your part. Because typically when you're pumping in addition to breastfeeding, you're only getting maybe uh, a half a feeding at each pumping. So in order to cut down on your need to pump while you're on maternity leave, one way to handle that is instead of giving a full, let's say, three to four ounces to your baby, just give an ounce or two. So think of it more as a snack rather than a meal. And then that way you don't have to do as much pumping because, you know, the, the time that you're home with your baby for maternity leave, it's like a special window, a special bubble of time where you can actually enjoy the baby and not have to worry about doing a lot of pumping and bottle feeding. So um, what's also suggested is that when the, the baby is accepting a bottle well once a day, you can actually cut back to every other day or even every third day, and that should help your baby uh, stay familiar with the bottle but not require as much work on your part. And that's a great point because the reason you're doing that is only to get the baby used to the bottle, not necessarily to feed him or her. Right. Right. And the, the other plus to that is that then it doesn't really throw off your breastfeeding pattern as much. So the baby can continue to reg regulate a good milk production and not get overfed from the bottle and then go for too long between feeding. So giving just a little bit by bottle, one or two ounces at most, it, I think is a really good strategy for maternity leave. Okay. And we talked a little bit about the pumps and how um, you mentioned the amount that they should be having by sort of a little stash by, by when they go back to work. How, anything they need to know about the pumps themselves? Well, for a, a woman who's going back to work full time, I usually recommend making sure that you get a pump that has a one year warranty on the motor. Um, there's a lot of different pumps out there and there's new ones coming out all the time. Um, so it's hard to go into all the pump specifics, but if you get one that has a one year warranty on the motor, it's probably going to be one of the more efficient kinds that, that you need for keeping up your milk production long term. And it's also going to last for the length of time you need it to, um, and you know it'll be worth the money. So uh, that's the one piece that I would suggest looking at. And of course, a double pump would be ideal because that means you can pump both breasts at once, and, and that takes half the time. So a one-year warranty and the capability of pumping both breasts, I think, would be uh, 
two important points. Mm -hmm. And what about the actual mechanics of the pump itself in terms of when they're using it, um, like how to properly fit the pump mm -hmm. to their breast or, uh -huh. yeah, and the suction strength and all of those things? Okay. Well, with the suction strength, you want the suction the highest level that's truly comfortable, meaning that you're not uncomfortable during or after pumping. If, if it's hurting or afterwards your nipples are stinging, that means you need to turn the vacuum, the suction down. As far as the fit is concerned, um, several of the pump companies offer different size openings for the nipple. Um, we call that the nipple tunnel. And ideally what you want is, so when you're shopping for a pump, you, you ideally want to get one that has different size nipple tunnels because otherwise you could end up spending a lot of money on a pump and then finding that it doesn't fit and then you're kind of out of luck if you don't have alternative sizes. So, uh, so when you're looking at the nipple in the nipple tunnel, you want to see some space around the nipple. If the nipple's rubbing, um, then that's a sign you need to go to a larger size. You know, if there's too much space, you know, and a lot of the, the areola or the dark circle around the nipples being drawn in and that's uncomfortable, you may need to go smaller. But most women actually need to go larger. And the other thing to know about fit is that after several weeks of pumping, sometimes mothers uh, find their nipples are expanding in size and they do need to go up in size a little bit more. So even if you have a good fit at the beginning, you might need to change your size as you go along. Hmm. And that's, does the, for, so for breastfeeding itself, we always say, if it's hurting, something's up, like it, breastfeeding shouldn't hurt. Does that right. stay the same for pumping? Pumping shouldn't Ab hurt? Absolutely, yes. And I do have a blog post. I'll mention my uh, website at the end, but I have a blog post on uh, what if pumping hurts, you know, all the different things to check. Very good. And we'll do in the show notes, we'll link to all of those. I'll put a, a little call Great. out so they can read that blog um, on okay. your website. So how much should they expect to be pumping? Well, that's a really good question because what happens during the first month of breastfeeding is that when a mother is breastfeeding her baby on cue, typically the baby feeds very intensively during that time. And that's the period when a mother's milk is increasing. So from birth uh, until about five weeks or so, uh, you're typically seeing a pretty large increase. So sometimes mothers pump during the first week and they think they should be getting as much milk as they, they will be getting, you know, at a month, but, but their body hasn't really started producing at that level yet. So for example, uh, you typically expect to see, if you're pumping, let's say, an hour after the first morning feeding, you expect to see about half half of a feeding. But what is a feeding depends during that first month on the baby's age. So, for example, during the first week, a feeding for a newborn is really only about an ounce or so. So it's, you know, they make, uh, she may get only about a half an ounce, you know, at a pump. And that would be normal at that time. By two to three weeks, typically... A baby's taking more like two to three ounces. And so then the mother might expect to get something like an ounce to an ounce and a half. And then by about four, four to five weeks, which is when mother's milk production is at its peak, then three to four ounces is average. So a mother might expect to pump an ounce and a half to two ounces. Okay. Is there... And, a... and I do... mm -hmm. Let me just say real quick, I do have a a blog post on that as well that I'll supply the link for because and, and that one is actually my most popular blog post. I get about a thousand hits a day on that because, you know, mothers sometimes try to gauge their milk production on how much they're pumping, but their their expectations aren't always realistic. And so it's very important to know all the factors that, that can affect how much you might be pumping. 
Yeah, and especially before your body gets used to the pump, what's coming right. out is probably less than what your baby's right. taking in directly at the breast. So I know one, that. Yeah, one of the, I was going to say one of the things I mentioned in the blog post is that it does take some practice to get good with the pump. You know, letting down your milk to the pump does take some practice and conditioning. So that is one of the things to, to look out for. You know, sometimes mothers panic the first time they sit down to pump and they don't get a lot of milk, but that could really be more about their body's response to the pump than, than saying anything about their milk production. Mm-hmm. So some of the things that are affecting the milk yields that we just mentioned was the, the quality of the pump and the fit, and also right. how much practice um, they right. have doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Are there other things that can affect it? Yes. Um, how long it's been since she removed any milk, either breastfeeding or pumping. So you know, if it's been, a, let's say, an hour, she's going to get less milk than if it's been two hours or three hours, for example. Also, time of day can make a difference. Most women are able to express more milk in the morning than they are in the evening. You know, that does vary from woman to woman, but on in general, that's what women find. Um, and also, as I mentioned, the baby's age. So how much a mother might expect to pump at one week is going to be very different from what she might expect to pump at one month. Fantastic. Um, so... Let's say, okay, that's all preparation and stuff and getting ready and building that stash. What do they know they need to know about the, that going back to work? Is there a better time if they have some leeway of saying when they're going to return? Um, or w- what do they need to consider in terms of the timing of going back to work? Well, in my book, Working in Breastfeeding Made Simple, I actually provide six different time windows during the baby's first year um, and talk about the specific considerations for each one. So the hardest time probably to go back to work um, is during the first five weeks, because of course, you're still recovering from childbirth, you haven't really gotten up to full milk production yet. And so it will require a lot more pumping to get you there. So that's going to be the most challenging time. Um, In the United States, many mothers are going back to work around six weeks. So the next time window is six weeks to three months. Uh, The good news about that is typically milk production is at its peak. And so at that point, all you have to do is maintain it. And the the number of milk removals per day needed to maintain production is going to be less than the number needed to increase production. Um, At four to five months, one of the pluses is that babies usually are past the age where they have fussy times, you know, which can be challenging, you know, between six weeks and three months, because oftentimes mothers come home from work in the evening and their baby is fussy for the for the evening. Uh, at six months, one of the advantages is that the babies are starting solid foods at that time. And solid foods do take the place of some of the milk in baby's diet. So they're going to need less milk moving forward after six months or so. You know, by nine months, babies can drink from a cup. So the baby may never need to take a bottle, you know, if you start back to work at that time. And after one year, I mean, that's when it gets really easy because most women after one year do not need to pump at work and they can breastfeed when they're with their baby. Um, And, you know, that's a pretty simple uh, experience at at one year or later. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, and yeah, the fussy period is so tough, especially for those moms that are going back at that time. And they're they're tired as well because now they're back to work and it's a new rhythm and they get home and, and they're cranky, baby's cranky. Right, right. And, and plus, they, the research shows that many women are still experiencing childbirth-related symptoms even at 11 weeks. So it's, you know, it, the longer that you can wait to go back in general, the easier it's going to be to keep breastfeeding. 
Very much so. So let's talk about that breastfeeding rhythm that to help maintain that that milk supply mm -hmm. because you might have gotten mm -hmm. to the point where you have your milk supply and things are going great right. and now you're going back to work. Right. What are those adjustments you need to to make? Well, probably the most important single piece of information uh, revolves around what I call the magic number. Uh, the magic ever, for each woman is going to be a little bit different, but the magic number is the number of milk removals and milk removals means breastfeeds plus pumps per day that are needed to keep milk production steady. And what happens with a lot of moms, because I used to spend uh, many, many hours on the phone talking to mothers, both at the pump company where I worked and at the corporate lactation program. And what I found was that uh, mothers were primarily focused on how many times they were pumping at work, but they really weren't paying very close attention to how many times they were breastfeeding when they and their babies were together. And so what, what generally seemed to happen was that the number of pumps at work stayed the same, but then they're at the, during their time at home, they were breastfeeding less and less. And that's when the milk production started to go down. So, for example, many of us think that as babies get bigger and heavier and older, they need fewer feedings a day. But that's actually a bottle feeding norm. And that's not generally true for breastfeeding babies. So, so if you focus on the 24-hour day and you keep track of the number of milk removals, then I think that's going to be a really good strategy. And trying to breastfeed as often as possible when you and baby are together, then that helps you keep your, your uh, daily total up to your magic number uh, and it can help you keep up your milk production long term. So for an average mom, uh, her magic number might be seven. So that would be num you would add together the number of pumps, you know, she does plus the number of breastfeeds. And if you can keep it seven or above, then generally the milk production is going to stay steady for as long as you need it to, you know, for, for some moms, that, that magic number might be a little less or a little bit more, but that, that would be an average. Okay, and I was reading through some of your, your posts. I was in preparation for uh -huh. this show, and um, I really liked in the magic number how the, the goal was to make it easier on moms, so right. to try to breastfeed as much as possible and pump right. in terms of the amounts. Um, right. So you had a really good tip for that on try to breastfeed before, right? Like right before going to right. work. <laughs> right. And right. One... So in other words, when you, when you drop the baby off, let's say at the childcare provider, or, you know, if, if your childcare provider's at home just before you leave, sit down and breastfeed the baby is the last thing you do. And then when you're reunited with the baby at the end of the workday, first thing you do is breastfeed. Um, and, and, you know, the more you can keep feeding, you know, feed uh, intensively, the better, because for example, what, what happens from one to six months, which a lot of moms don't know, is that baby's milk intake stays remarkably stable during that time. So it sort of plateaus from one to six months. And then once they start solid foods at six months, it starts to go down. But during that time from one to six months, um, if, if every time they breastfeed, baby gets like three to four ounces, then one way to think about it is that's three to four ounces less they're going to need during your work day. So the more you feed when you're together, the less milk the baby's going to need when you're at work. So that is one way you can make your life a little easier because most moms that I know at least really don't enjoy pumping at all. They want to keep that to a minimum. And so one way to do that but still keep your, your daily total up to your magic number is just to do lots of breastfeeding when you and your baby are together. Mm -hmm. I love that tip because it makes mm -hmm. so much sense um, mm -hmm. if you're going for that number because one of the things that tends to happen also um, that can affect all this is when you start going back to work, 
you want to try to sleep better at night because uh-huh. you need to go to work. But that can uh-huh. also affect the breastfeeding relationship and the supply. Right, because if you're not breastfeeding at all during the night, then that's going to increase the n- amount of milk your baby needs during the workday, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on you. So one, one of the ways that you can handle that is to keep the baby nearby, which actually even the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends uh, having the baby in the room with you at least until six months to prevent SIDS, um, is you can actually do what, even if the baby's asleep, you can do what's called dream feeds at night. So it doesn't even involve waking the baby up. You know, if the baby's nearby and you hear the baby stirring, you know, just bring the baby to breast and, and let them nurse and you put them back, let's say if there's a crib or a bassinet there, um, you know, however you, you handle that. But, you know, there are ways to take advantage of that at night without necessarily having to wake everybody up. Mm-hmm. And I hear also from moms that they miss their babies because they've been at work. So they want to even right. though they're more tired, they're trying to get more cuddles in at night. So it's, it is right. a, a tricky situation. It is. It is. There's a lot, a lot to balance. And of course, every family finds their own unique strategies. And one of the things I tried to do in my book was to, to give lots of examples of different ways that parents accomplish the same thing. Because I think that's one of the great things about, um, you know, sharing experiences is that sometimes you can get an idea from someone else's that's going to fit in really well. Mm-hmm. Nancy, what about if milk supply is being effective, if things mm-hmm. are starting to get more and more difficult as they go back to mm-hmm. work? Mm-hmm. So are you asking uh, how to bring milk supply up if you need to do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, some, some well, of those tips. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mentioned that the, that the magic number is, is the number of milk removals needed to keep milk production steady. But there's, you know, by boosting your number of milk removals above the magic number, there's also going to be an increased level. So if you want to produce more milk, one way to do that would be to, to add in more milk removals. And that might be more nursings when you're home. doesn't have to mean more pumpings. But when a mother's pumping, there actually is a pumping strategy that's relatively new that's been found to help drain the breasts more fully. And I did write a blog post on that, too. It's called Hands-On Pumping. And so it it involves not just relying on the pump to get the milk out, but also using your hands to do compressions and and hand expression after pumping or single pumping and doing intensive expression. Because the the purpose of it is to try to drain the breast more fully each time. And that also can help boost milk production. So, you know, a mother can find her own best balance between using the hands-on pumping and maybe adding in more milk removals a day if she wants to increase her milk production. And I have a question that when I was reading about that, that just went through my mind. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I can see how breast compression while you're pumping and trying to really drain mm-hmm. the breast can help mm-hmm. with that. But right. do you know if there's anything to the fact that you're doing more, you know, it's your own hand, skin, but mm-hmm. skin to skin, does that like, are your oxytocin levels increased when you're doing hand expression as opposed to just pumping? Well, that's a really good question. They haven't actually studied that specifically, but what they have studied is they've used these techniques with mothers who are pumping for babies in the the intensive care unit. And what they discovered was that the women who used this hands-on pumping technique, which is a very specific way to do it, um, actually were able to pump almost 50% more milk than mothers who were relying on the pump alone. So it can make a huge difference in terms of milk yields. And so for many working moms, you know, this can be a really good way to make the most of their pumping time. 
Yeah, I like the fact that it's not an additional step, but something that's happening with what you're already doing. So it's not making that pumping longer, just more effective. Well, it might actually make it slightly longer. On average, the women who were using the hands-on techniques, it was taking about 25 minutes. So if you were just using the pump alone, it might take 15 minutes. But getting that extra milk out can go a long way to uh, keeping milk production steady and boosting production when needed. Mm Mm-hmm. And also keeping that mental state of the mom for me is so important because if you're Mm -hmm. starting to worry that you don't Mm -hmm. have enough milk, that's right. It's going to make less milk. (laughs) Yeah. Anxiety can interfere with, with uh, your milk flow. That's true. So do you have tips for the care providers on how, how to support the mom on her breastfeeding um, journey while baby and mom are separated. Also, when she's at work, the whoever's taking care of the baby, is there a way they can help um, with this whole pumping and being at work and, and, and maintaining her breastfeeding relationship? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Actually, there's a number of things they can do. Um, first of all, they can make sure the mother has a comfortable place to, to sit and breastfeed. Uh, so that, you know, when she's trying to fit in more feeds, when she's with the baby, you know, that makes it easier. But another strategy, and I do have a uh, a blog post and a, a handout that's freely available to moms that they can share with their ca- caregiver. Uh, another strategy is what what's called paste bottle feeding. Uh, because, we, you know, when we think about bottle feeding, we usually think about a baby lying on, on their back and the bottle being held at sort of like a 45 degree angle. But when a, when a baby sits up um, a little higher, and the bottle is held more horizontally, and the the caregiver allows breaks during the bottle feeding. Uh, that actually has been found to to help babies feel full with less milk. So for a mom who's feeling stressed about how many ounces she's leaving for her baby, if the the way the baby is fed uh, helps the baby feel full with less milk, that takes a lot of the pressure off of her. The other advantage of it too is that it actually helps to promote you know, self, healthy self-regulation in the baby. So babies are less likely to overfeed when the, the bottle feeding is paced. So that I'll, I'll provide a link to that because the, the handout actually explains step-by-step how to do that and it has photographs and things that a, a mom can share with the caregiver. Very cool. I like that idea. Um, do you think, see, I've always, and this is my own personal view and it is totally anecdotal and has nothing to do with any evidence, but I've always thought that more than nipple confusion, it was, and I'm not calling babies lazy, but it was more laziness because it's, it's, babies required to work harder when they're feeding at the breast and the milk from the bottle usually just flows and it's easy. So that would make sense that, oh, I'm going to prefer this where I don't have to work. (laughs) Well, actually, it, it does make a certain amount of logical sense, but when they've actually studied the same babies on breast and bottle, they found that actually bottle feeding is a lot more stressful for babies. And if you think about what it would feel like to try to drink from a fire hose that, that someone puts in your mouth, you might appreciate why it's stressful. So it's it's actually much kinder to feed a baby slower rather than faster because babies can get overwhelmed with the fast flow of the bottle. Oh, for sure. For sure. But so, so let's talk about the, so let's forget my anecdotal 
thoughts that's <laughs> completely debunked and it's a myth. And well, <laughs> we'll forget well, that. No, <laughs> well, babies, babies can grow to prefer the bottle. A- another strategy that can help avoid that is to always use the slowest slow nipple. And that also is another way to slow down feedings and help the baby feel full with less milk. So, uh, so that actually can decrease the stress of bottle feeding for babies as well. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a good opportunity to bring that up. Well, sure. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so what are your thoughts then on nipple confusion? Well, I I think the longer that I've been in breastfeeding, the less I, I am concerned about nipple confusion. It's something we talked a lot about years ago. I think babies sometimes do grow to prefer the bottle. And that's why it's important for us to make the bottle as much like the breast as we can. And for example, part of the, the strategy that I describe in my handout for caregivers is to like touch the baby's lips with the bottle nipple, wait till the baby opens wide, encourage them to latch onto the bottle in much the same way as they might latch onto the breast, and then try to, again, pace the flow so it's similar. So the more we can make the bottle like the breast, I think the less likely it is to cause uh, any sort of issues with going back and forth. That sounds fantastic. That's a, that makes all sense to me. Um, what about, so here's another situation. What about if a mom's not exclusively breastfeeding, but is also mm-hmm. supplementing with formula? Uh-huh. So what? So going forward, what are some things she needs to take into account and think about or so that she can continue to breastfeed and mm-hmm. go to be, you know, be at work and have it mm-hmm. not all go south and end up doing exclusively formula. Right. Well, that that is important. And that's why, you know, in my book, I certainly describe that situation as well, because it's important to understand how milk production works. And I think that's where a lot of moms end up somewhere where they, they didn't intend to go, is not understanding how the process works and making decisions that ends up taking them in the opposite direction of what the, what their preferences are. So so understanding, you know, about the magic number and keeping your milk production stable, I think is important for all moms. You know, if their goal is like, if let's say they want to do half and half, uh, you know, it would depend really on how much of their own milk and how much formula is their intention to give. You know, if they wanted to do half and half and they want to maintain a half of a milk supply, then they still need to keep an eye on the number of times a day that they're uh, removing the milk from their breast. And it's going to become obvious pretty quickly if they're keeping track. And I usually recommend mothers keep track about once a week to write down, you know, what is their daily milk yield when they're pumping. And if they start to see it go down, then they'll know that they've dropped below their magic number and their body is responding by producing less milk. Because really, uh, as far as milk production goes, you know, a mother's body is just waiting for you to tell it what how much to produce. That's why women can produce enough milk for twins, triplets, and quadruplets. We even have one recorded case of a mother fully breastfeeding quintuplets. So it's it's really just a matter of speaking your body's language. And once you understand, you know, that the language your body understands is, is the language of milk removals, then, you know, you can make adjustments as needed. So if a mother sees that her milk production is going down, she can increase her number of milk removals until it's where she wants it to be, you know, and then keep it steady. Okay. Would something, so that would be like a gentle um, way of getting it back to to par of mm-hmm. increasing, making sure you've got your magic number and you stick with it. 
Um, magic, and, number, magic number will keep it steady. And if you go above the magic number, then that will cause it to increase. So each mother's going to be a little different on the number that it takes to maintain and to increase. And she'll only know by trying. So it, as I say, if her milk starts to go down, she'll know she dipped below her magic number. You know, if it stays steady, she'll, she'll know she's good. If she wants to increase it, then she'll need to raise her number of daily milk removals to the level where she starts to see an increase. Would doing something like a weekend, um, like Penny Simpkins 24-hour cure of like taking a Saturday and doing a lot, lot, lot more um, feedings than your magic number, sort of to uh -huh. jumpstart it and then uh -huh. level it off, would that be something that would work as well? It very well could, yeah, depending on how many times a day, you know, the, the baby's breastfeeding, absolutely it could. Uh, usually it takes a, a few days to see an increase, but a weekend might be long enough for some women to, to get their production back up where they want it to go. And so I think the the message is also, you know, don't despair. Right. <laughs> it might take some some days. It might take even uh -huh. like a week. And if so, when do you think it gets to a point where maybe they should reach out for help? professional help or external help? Well, that's going to vary on, uh, according to the mom. I think, you know, for example, if a mother during maternity leave finds that breastfeeding is painful and every adjustment she makes isn't helping, it's definitely time to see a professional. You know, if she is having milk production issues that are outside of what you would expect, that would be a time to go see a professional for sure. Um, but, you know, I feel like my job as a lactation consultant is primarily to put mothers in the driver's seat of their own experience. So, you know, what I do in my writing is I try to make sure they understand how the process works so that they can make adjustments and meet their goals. Absolutely, which is 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 wonderful. And, and I am all for it. And um and I think it's, it, I really appreciate all your blog posts and all the information you give out there. I just also know that sometimes it can get a little bit more difficult and mm -hmm. it's hard to see it start snowballing and going, I'm not seeing change where, and things seem to be going, getting worse no matter what I do. So I guess then, then I, I kind of answered my question that that, that's the point at where probably she should seek to get some help. Uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, a mother never has to go it alone. There's always plenty of support people out there. If a mother's looking for a lactation consultant, uh, the best place to go is www.ilca.org. So that's the International Lactation Consultant Association.org. And then there's a, uh, a zip code locator in there that she can put in her zip code and she'll get a list of people that she can call for help. But yeah, a mother should never feel like she's in it alone. There's always people who'd be glad to help. Mm -hmm. And we love Ilka. I love Ilka. Um, I'm constantly recommended. Do you have other uh, online resources that you recommend aside from Ilka and all your wonderful information in, in your blog post, which we'll certainly um, link to? Well, I would say kellybomb.com is, is one of the best. And uh, Kelly is a lactation consultant in Florida. And every time I see her, I thank her for everything that she's doing for Mothers Worldwide, because that is a wonderful resource. Um, there's another website, too, that I recommend. It's uh, bestforbabes.org. Uh, and that's put on by the Best for Babes Foundation. They actually have quite a lot of really excellent information there about working and breastfeeding. 
Mm-hmm. We love kellymom.com as well. I've, I've been trying to mm-hmm. get to track down Kelly so I can have her on the show as well. Um, mm-hmm. And we are she, gonna... seems, she, she seems to like to be a little more low profile, but yeah. she, what she's doing is so important. So important. And what I really like about her um, website, aside from that it's very solid evidence-based information, is that it has a really good search engine. So at three in the morning when you're looking for answers, you get good, solid sort of bullet point information um, that you don't have to dig through too much. So, yeah, Yeah. I do love that site. Thank you so much for doing on the, all this and sharing your knowledge. If listeners want to know more of what you're doing, where can they follow you and contact you and see what you're up to? Well, I have my website, nancymorbacher.com. And Morbacher is the hard part. It's M as in Mary, O-H-R, B as in boy, A-C-H-E-R. Uh, I'm also on uh, Facebook. My professional page is uh, Facebook.com slash Nancy Morbacher, IBCLC. I'm on Pinterest. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel, which I highly recommend. Uh, YouTube.com slash Nancy Morbacher. I've got a lot of videos of moms uh, breastfeeding uh, different moms with different body types, you know, showing some positioning tips, I think, that can make early breastfeeding a lot more comfortable. Um, and let's see, so... Uh, I, those are those are prim- the primary places where people can follow me. Fantastic. And now that you mentioned your YouTube channel, um, you reminded me of a question that a, that a new mom had for me, let me see, last week, um, mm-hmm. where in preparation, she, she's small-breasted, and she mm-hmm. said, I was having a really hard time um, as I was looking for videos of breastfeeding moms because it seemed to me that all these moms had big breasts and she was feeling uh-huh. sort of a disconnect so i wonder do uh-huh. you have some small breasted moms breastfeeding there i do oh good i do i ha- i have uh, small breasted large breasted i have white black latina we have all sorts of diversity on my youtube channel so um the other resource that i have that i would i would love to mention again is my breastfeeding solution smartphone app uh which is available in the app store google play and the amazon app store and that's fantastic. I, I love that you have an app. Thank I'm you. so excited for people with apps. Well, that's that's where moms are these days on their phones. So I figure you got to go where they're where they are, right? Very smart. It's true. It's true. Nancy, thank you so, so, so much. And we will continue to follow what you're doing. Well, thank you, Adriana. It's been a, a great pleasure talking with you. Mamas, I so love to hear from you, so share with me your thoughts, and if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter, and even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.